Welcome back to Search the Scriptures. It's great to be back with all of our listeners once again today. And how blessed we are to be able to do this each day, open up God's Word and dig a little bit deeper into those rich teachings and truths. God has provided us so much knowledge, so much direction, guidance, wisdom. He has given us hope, a hope that humanity, other than with God, does not have and cannot have. Because God's hope is that we can have a new start on life, that we can be forgiven. As we come to Jesus Christ in faithfulness, believing him to be God's son and our Lord and Savior, repenting of our sins, confessing our faith in him openly, and surrendering to him in baptism, being buried with him in the waters of baptism, at which point the blood that he shed on the cross is still 100% effective to cleanse us of the guilt of our sins. When the people on Pentecost asked Peter and the rest of the apostles, what shall we do? Peter responded in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So as we come to God through Christ, our Lord and Savior, then we can be forgiven. We can be redeemed. We can have that new start on life as we're born again. As Jesus told Nicodemus, has to happen in John chapter 3, verses 3 through 5. We can be made a new creation, as the Apostle Paul put it in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. We can be saved and have that promise of eternal life with God and Christ and the Holy Spirit in heaven. How blessed we are to have God's word to give us such guidance, such instruction, and such hope. You know, the Apostle Paul, when he was writing to the church at Philippi, in Philippians chapter 4 and verses 4 through 7, he talked about how we can have a peace that passes understanding. Now, what he means is that, that means by that, I believe we're to understand is it's a peace that really cannot be described in words to anyone who has not experienced it. Now, that peace, Paul said, is of God, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding shall be yours in Christ Jesus. Now, it's only through Christ that we can find that peace. Oh, you know, nations come together and their leaders sign peace treaties, and that's supposed to put them in a position of being non-threatening to one another and agreeing to live together in the face of this planet without any kind of military conflict. And then we have people all over the world talking about peace, give peace a chance, and they're talking about peace between human beings, between cultures, between nations. But all of that, that kind of talk, is talking about life in this world. The real peace is only through Jesus Christ. And that peace points us toward heaven and eternity. Now, if people will embrace that peace and come to God through the Savior for that peace, spiritual peace, eternal peace, then peace between nations will become a natural. Peace between neighbors will become automatic because their lives will have changed. We do hope that you will find our studies together 
to not only be inspirational, that's not what we're trying to do basically to pump you up emotionally, but you'll find it life-changing because we're reading, we're studying from God's Word, which is literally a life-changing book. At the end of the program today, as we always do, we'll tell you how you can contact us and you can ask for the free Bible study that will teach you how to come to God through Christ and how to live that faithful Christian life. The study is free and we'll take care of the postage. You can also receive a copy of today's program on CD and it's free and again, we'll take care of the postage. So have a pencil or a pen and a piece of paper ready and you can jot down that information at the end of the program today and you can ask for that material and we would love to send it to you as we have sent it to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people over the years. And we do hope you'll come and visit with us at the Sunny Slope Church of Christ. We'll tell you the times of our services at the end of the program today. Come and see us. Check us out. Experience a church that is simply trying to be the church of the Bible. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. We hope you will. Now, let's get back into our study that we've entitled, Beware of Drifting. We've talked about how we need to always be aware of our spiritual direction in life. So many people are not. They really don't give much thought to their spiritual lives. They really don't think about God much. They certainly don't think about the church much. And so as a result, they're just kind of drifting along through life down a pathway that's leading them farther and farther and farther away from God, away from Jesus Christ, and away from heaven. You see, God did not send Jesus into this world on a casual basis or for no reason. He sent him here as our Savior. Jesus said in John chapter 14 and verse 6, on the very night of his betrayal, the next day he would be hanging on that cross, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So, people drift away from their Lord and Savior, who is their only opportunity, their only chance to come to God and walk with God and be in heaven for all of eternity with him. Jesus is the only way. But people, through the leading of the devil, through the deception of the devil, the lies, the temptations, the allurements, they keep drifting farther and farther and farther away from God and away from Christ, their Savior. Just as a pilot flying a plane has to make sure that he keeps his, his compass set on the right bearings, the right headings, if he does not, then he will miss his destination. And depending on how far that destination is away from him, how long his journey is going to be, he may miss his destination by 50 or 100 or even many more miles. Same thing with the ship at sea. It's easy to drift away, to drift away without even realizing that we're drifting until all of a sudden we find ourselves completely off course and lost. Now it's one thing to be lost physically, going from one destination to another, but boy, it is a whole lot worse to be lost spiritually because we're talking about eternal condemnation. Now, 
Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 1 gives us the warning. And here the Hebrews writer says this, Hebrews 2 and verse 1. Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. Giving the more earnest heed means we need to pay attention. And we need to make sure that we keep following those teachings. Make sure that our spiritual compass is still on the right bearings, that we're sti it's still set correctly, and that we're not off to any degree. Because just as that ship at sea or that pilot flying that airplane across the ocean or across some vast distance, if he's off just one degree, he'll miss his destination by a great many miles. He'll be lost. We don't want to be lost for eternity. We don't have, want to have to suffer the condemnation of eternal torment in hell. And that's the reality of missing heaven. There are only two possibilities, heaven or hell, eternal life or eternal condemnation. We don't want to take the chance. Now, we've talked about how it's very frequent that husbands and wives will talk about how they've just drifted apart, no longer in love, no longer that close union that they were when they got married and began having their children and maybe even raising their children to adulthood. They've just drifted apart and did not even realize it was happening until it was too late, they thought. We talked about how many people drift into more and more destructive sinfulness, not paying attention to the direction their lives are taking until suddenly they find themselves engulfed in sin. I wonder how many people end up in prison and all of a sudden they wonder how did I get here? When did I start down this path? Why did I make those decisions? But you see, they're in prison at that point. Now, it's not too late for them to change their lives, but they've drifted so far and did not even realize oftentimes that they were drifting that badly off course. Many churches drift into troubled waters of doctrinal impurity. It's interesting when we begin looking at the scriptures, and we're not going to look at all of them that we could. We're just going to look at a few, and that should suffice for us. But when we look at 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 3, the Apostle Paul admonishes, as I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. What does that word doctrine mean? We've talked about that a lot on this program over the years. It simply means teaching. And so Paul is instructing Timothy to remain in Ephesus with the congregation there and teach them, charge them, instruct them. In fact, an alternate translation in that with, of that particular word in that verse is command them that they teach no other doctrine, that they do not change God's word, that they do not change what they have been taught. 
in order to become a Christian and to live as a faithful church before God. We look at 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 13. 2 Timothy 1 and verse 13. Here again, notice. Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Hold fast the pattern of sound words. You know, there are people who, they don't like the idea of what they might call pattern theology. (laughs) Sounds like an interesting technical term, doesn't it? They don't like the idea that there's a regimented kind of instruction that we're supposed to follow according to God's teachings in order to be right with God. Well, would you want to go into a store and buy a suit or a dress or a shirt or a pair of pants or a pair of shoes that were not manufactured according to a pattern that was supposed to fit your body size? Whatever that garment is supposed to, whatever part of your body that garment is supposed to cover? Of course not. Would you even consider purchasing a home that did not follow the guidelines of the pattern that would be the architectural drawings that were laid out by which to build that house. (laughs) It would be absurd to do so. Or what if you thought about buying a car and you're going to put out maybe Twenty-five or thirty or forty or fifty thousand dollars to buy this new car, but now the salesman told you this thing was just thrown together. There's no pattern to it. You would not buy that car, would you? You'd walk out of that showroom. You'd stop talking to that salesman because you know everything has to be put in the right place and everything has to work together properly for that car to work properly. And you're not going to put out that money without being confident that the car fits the pattern of what it's supposed to be. In Titus chapter 2 and verse 7, the Apostle Paul wrote Titus, another gospel preacher who worked with him. And Titus is working with congregations in another part of the world at that time, And so Paul says, in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility. Again, we've got to stay true to the pattern of what the church is supposed to be. Now, how do we know what the church is supposed to be? Paul's already told us. We've read it three times. We've got to stay in the right doctrine, the right teachings, the teachings of God's word. But there are churches who have drifted into the waters of doctrinal impurity. They're not the church you read about in the Bible any longer. They tone down strong doctrinal preaching and teaching, and they emphasize feel-good theology. They emphasize compromising 
over the soundness of the teachings of God's word. And they might even suggest that, you know, we're not even sure that all of God's word is really God's word. Well, how do they know which is which then? How do they know they're not rejecting something that really is God's word? How do they know that they're accepting something that as being God's word, but it might not be God's word because they've decided they can't be sure? Well, how would they even know what to teach in that case and where to find the authority to teach it? They're trying to be more acceptable to the world, more palatable. Again, that feel-good theology. We want people to feel good about being here, about being a part of this church. Now, those people may be living in sin. Those people may have never obeyed the gospel message of salvation that God laid out for us in the scriptures. They may not even believe in Jesus Christ fully as being God the Son. They may reject the, the fact that he not only died on that cross and was buried in that tomb, but that he arose from the grave. They might say, well, that's, you know, that's just myth. No, that's scripture. That's God's word. That's historical fact. They may not even believe that God is really the creator, but rather mankind just kind of happened upon the face of the earth in some kind of accidental, random fashion. Well, there are a lot of churches out there who entertain those kinds of thoughts and beliefs. They try to become more acceptable to the world in instead of trying to teach the world how to become acceptable to God. Many congregations, many churches, they drift away from being the diligent believers in God and servers of God. They drift away from being the working church that they should be. Look at Revelation chapter 2. Now, the first of the seven letters to the seven churches that Jesus sent to those congregations was to the church at Ephesus. And in verse 5, well, let's, let's go back to verse 1. To the angel of the church of Ephesus, write. Again, these are Jesus' words. You can look them up in your own Bible. Revelation 2, beginning with verse 1. These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Go back into chapter 1, you'll find out that that's Jesus Christ himself. And that only makes sense because he is the head of the church. Ephesians 1, verses 22 and 23, Colossians 1 and verse 18. Jesus goes on in verse 2 there in Revelation chapter 2, and he says, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Well, that seems to be a good record for the church at Ephesus. But then verse 4 shows us a different picture of what they have become. Jesus goes on and says, nevertheless I, have said, I, I, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works. Repent and do the first works, 
or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Now again, if you go back to the end of chapter 1, you'll find that the lampstand represented their identity as being the Lord's church. A whole lot of churches, they've left their first love. They've turned largely away from God and dedication to Jesus Christ and embraced being acceptable to the world. They really have blurred any lines of doctrinal purity and have pretty much accepted uh, pretty much whatever any, anybody wants to believe. Just come and we'll do it your way. We'll teach it your way. Or at least we'll let you feel comfortable in living the spiritual life you want to live. That's not being the church that Jesus established in the face of this earth. We have to stand up for truth. And truth is narrow. Jesus said in John chapter 8 and verse 32, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And now there's no question about what the truth is because in the 17th chapter of that same book, John chapter 17 and verse 17, Jesus prayed to the Father and he said, sanctify them by your truth, your word is truth. So the truth that will set us free from the guilt and condemnation of sin is the word of God, the teachings of God's word. Now we need to study those teachings as we've already noted. We need to understand them, but we need to properly apply them to our lives. And that's part of what Paul said is being a worker who does not need to be ashamed before God because he rightly divides, he handles correctly the word of truth, the word of truth, the scriptures of God's word. We want to help you learn his word more fully and more effectively. Now that's what we strive to do and what we pray for all the time here on Search the Scriptures. But we also offer you that opportunity to study a little further on your own through that free Bible study that we always offer. Now, in just a moment, we'll tell you how to contact us and receive it. And we hope you will do exactly that. We would love to hear from you right away.